This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi and welcome. Today I have a fantastic interview for you, as always, with Sophie from Munchkin and Bear. So Sophie's story is really interesting because she actually took a product that her friend had already launched, this product already existed, and became the owner of that brand and that product in Europe. So Sophie is the owner of Munchkin and Bear in Europe, and the brand was the brainchild of a great friend of hers, Alana. Alana created Munchkin and Bear in 2016 in Australia when she couldn't find a play mat for her kids which was both practical but also stylish meaning she didn't have to sacrifice her beautiful home. Lots of R&D later and the first luxury padded play mat globally was launched. Sophie decided not to return to her day job after maternity leave and kicked off the business in the UK in late 2018 with one-year-old twins literally playing on her play mat alongside her. So this is a great story. It's a really unique start into product development and selling physical pr- products, um, as, as I say, because Sophie, rather than create the product from scratch, took a product that her friend had created that she believed in and that she felt passionate about and decided to be the sole seller of that product in the UK. So um, we talk a lot about working in partnership with a friend um, and we spoke about the difference between how the business runs here and how the business runs in Australia. All in all, I think it's a really fascinating conversation, as all of these interviews are, and I really hope you enjoy it. Here's Sophie. Okay, so hi, Sophie. Thank you for being here. Hi. Hi. Could you tell us um, about yourself, your business, and what it is that you sell, please? Yeah, of course. So I am Sophie, and the business kind of came about from one of my great mates who was actually a neighbour living in Battersea years ago, um, who got to her second child, tried to find a playmat, and couldn't find one that she liked and you know beautiful house and she was like I really don't want multicolored jigsaw horrificness in my house so she was like I've got to find something really nice that's kind of style plus practical um and so the playmat was kind of born from that and um yeah and so and I was staying with her in Brisbane at the time and uh, so it was like what do you think of this concept and I was like it's flipping brilliant um, and I can't see that mums wouldn't want that because actually most people don't want to kind of live in a playroom. Um, and so when I got to the end of my mat leave with my twins, because I used to work in communications and advising companies and things, I 
said, listen, what about me launching Europe and the UK for you? Because um, she's based in Australia. So that's where Munchkin and Bear for me was born. Um, so yeah, so play mats that kind of meet the kind of playtime in style piece, I guess. Oh, thank you. So when you um, so when you launched products in the UK, were they already established in Australia? Had she already launched over there? Yeah, so she launched in Australia um, 2016. And so we were kind of a couple of two and a half years later here when we launched. Um, so it was kind of looking at, so it's exactly the same product. So they're luxury padded play mats. Um, and she had gone through the kind of R&D piece and looked at materials that were right and the testing process. So from that perspective, we were lucky because we got to just take that on board um, and get going. But obviously a very different market. We're at a very different place in terms of e-commerce purchase behavior and things in this country um, and different website, different processes. Um, she has her own warehouse and staff team over in Australia, but obviously it's not quite as much space around London to bang up a big warehouse and start shipping out. So we looked for different options and things here. So, but yeah, the brand was there, but it was an unknown brand over here. Yeah. And you, and I guess you had the product, which was good, but you were starting essentially from scratch yeah. out of interest, because I honestly don't know this. What is the difference between the UK and the Australian market? Cause I really don't know. So, in Australia, they are much more um, used to buying online. So buying products online is really well established over there. Um, whereas over here, online retail is actually still a growing sector. So they are much more likely to buy something online that they've never seen or touched. Whereas we, up until this year, and I think this year is going to be quite a big transformation year, obviously, for many things. Um, but up until this year, the UK has been quite a significant way behind in terms of e-commerce um, purchasing behaviour, basically, from a customer. So it sounds like you had lots of logistics and things to get in place. So you mentioned that in, the, in Australia, they have a warehouse and a team. So what do you have? What sort of setup do you have over here? So we use a third party warehouse. So we found effectively the same structure, but run by somebody else. Because when I launched the business, my twins were just over a year old. And so the kind of practical basis of taking a number of mats, which are kind of a hundred, you know, nearly a meter and a half long down to the post office with two tiny people in tow just wasn't going to work. So we kind of looked at it differently. And also from a growth perspective, having somebody that is set up and structured to just take stuff to the post office um, because it's a large item. It's, it's not as easy as kind of a piece of jewellery that you can put into an envelope and you might be able to take 20 or 30 off to the post office. Um, so looking at the practical. So we have an outsourced um, logistics house effectively. Um, so they can pick up all the orders I send them all through and then they process that and that goes straight out the door. And also from a negotiating perspective, um, they're able to work with uh, the shippers and get better rates than as a startup. You know, when I was phoning around trying to get a courier, they're just like, OK. That makes we'll sense. And especially when you're looking to scale, I think having that set up initially is a really good idea because when I first started selling my products, which in all fairness are smaller, I was first of all doing the thing of walking to the post office and it's fine when you're doing a couple of weeks, but you know, we all want to scale. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think you can't do something like that too soon, actually. It's getting all yeah. the logistics and processes in place. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit, 
I think when you first start out and you feel like you're losing control of something like that, it can feel a bit scary that you're going to hand something over to somebody else and trust that they're going to put it in the right envelope and post it at the right time and things. Um, so there was a bit of kind of, you know, trying to find the right place to do it um, mattered. And But they've been great and they're, they're very tech driven. So they, you know, it, it's there's lots of reporting and I can have a look at all the numbers and see everything by the minute on a live system and things, which is really helpful. So out of interest, and just because I don't believe I've spoken to anyone about this before, how did you go about finding someone to do your fulfillment? You certainly don't need to mention who it is you use, but are there any, is there any advice you've got for somebody who was looking to do the same? Um, well, for me, it was such a big learning curve because I'd come over from being a kind of consultant in marketing and comms and public affairs and things. So moving into retail, my whole retail piece was purely based on, I've got, my brother's in retail and my husband used to run a deli, but it was obviously small, very different. Um, so for me, the retail piece was a massive learning curve. And I basically tapped into lots of friends and said, who do you use? How do you go about the shipping piece and all of that? Um, and went and had lots of coffees with lots of different people to kind of get their insights. And then really when I was looking for the warehouse it was trying to work out on google what search terms would bring up the right type of pieces literally so it was like do i search fulfillment center which is what they would say in america or is it third party logistics and um and then just i started to go through all their websites and shortlist and you start, you soon realize that some people specialize in food and products that need to be chilled other people specialize in dangerous goods and you know pieces and other people specialize in um smaller racked products um so actually that was for us because it's a large package actually that ruled out quite a lot of people quite quickly so endless phone calls can you deal with a package that's over a meter long no fine and and kind of slowly but surely shortlisted down um but it was it took longer than i thought it would take to work all of that out but i'm glad it i'm glad i spent the time Definitely, it's definitely worth taking the time. And I think asking around is really good advice as well, because I think if we have networks, whether it be a formal network or family or friends or whatever, there's nothing better than a word of mouth recommendation. Yeah, for sure. And knowing your criteria as well. I think that was also a really good point because I also switched to using a fulfillment centre earlier this year and um, sort of having a list of criteria like, you know, I want to use a certain type of packaging. I want, I want all orders to be fulfilled same day or next day. Kind of, as you say, it does rule a lot of people out right at the start um, because it just seems like, you know, there must be thousands of, I imagine, at least hundreds of these places yeah. in the UK, for example. And I was thinking, how would you on earth would you choose one? But actually, if you know what it is you're looking for, like you say, you're not left really with that many options. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, some of them are still quite traditional and quite manual. Um, and some of them are much more tech enabled so depending on your website you know my guys are able to bolt into the back end of my website and pull all the information that they need directly so I don't actually have to get involved in that um, whereas one of the other guys that I shortlisted was felt much more kind of like they could do personalized goods um, and if I had a gifted product that I wanted personalized gift notes and things written to to every single product they would have been a better option so it's kind of depends what you need so you have a fulfillment center that sort of links in with your website so you don't have to touch anything 
Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So I think that probably leads us on to what channels are you using in the UK? And, and also, if you don't mind talking about this, what channels are they using in Australia? As in, do you have the same Instagram accounts, websites, yeah. or is it completely separate? Yeah, so we have um, Instagram is probably our biggest platform and where kind of a significant chunk of time and investment is is because the product's so visual um, and also because our audience is mums predominantly first time either pregnant or early days is the kind of biggest market. That's where we'll find them. Um, and then Facebook probably second to that. Um, and at the moment we run se separate channels and that's partly just because we wanted to be able to do more localized content. So, you know, everything from Father's Day is a different time of year. Obviously, there are big moments like Christmas, which are exactly the same. But also the time difference to Australia is so dramatic that, you know, posting time and people watching stuff is very different. So, you know our evening slot which is a classic time for mums to be on instagram and facebook and engaging around the sort of 7 38 pm is literally the middle of the night for them so you'd be running content at very different times of day so for that reason we kind of chose to be separate um but you know as we've gone on there are certain things that we you know take from each other and build on to make sure that we're not just doubling up um, and then some things that we keep separate. So Facebook and Instagram are the biggest channels um, at the moment. And then um, Pinterest is another area that is kind of, you know, got to be sorted out, basically. I could see Pinterest would be good for you because your products, as you said, I've seen your website and it looks beautiful. So yeah, I can yeah. see that it will definitely work over there. And do you sell on any other platforms as well as your website? So we, um, All by Mama um, is the other platform we have one boutique um, retailer in southwest london nearby um but beyond that it's all on our website kind of just more than anything else just focusing efforts yeah i think it definitely makes sense to focus all your efforts in one place rather than trying to split you know split yourself too thinly um so let's talk about so are there any challenges that you've come across um since so how long so actually first of all how long has it been since you started over in the UK because I've completely lost track of time 2018 is that right yeah exactly it's pretty much two years almost to the day um and it's kind of incredible how much has changed in that I mean for me I think the challenges were um just building confidence that I could do it um and you know because it was such a big jump from being a consultant in the comms world to running my own online business and I'd worked with clients like PayPal and LinkedIn and Border Free who are kind of basically an e-commerce expert as clients. So I had quite a lot of understanding of different areas that would matter, but actually doing it for yourself is a whole different ball game and doing it for yourself when you've got two small children under your feet um, and you haven't actually got chunks of time. Um, so the challenges were learning all the different ropes and making sure you were up to skill and then I think as you grow working out where you want support you know when actually somebody else would be better skilled to do it and that would actually free you up to do other things um, so that kind of as you start to grow kind of when when you ask for help when you get accountants involved um, you know on the finances side um, but I think probably my biggest thing, and that's slightly because I'm a control freak, 
um, but is the courier and the delivery element because it's such a big part of a customer experience. And yet, once your parcel gets handed to your courier, you actually can't physically control whether they deliver on time, whether they knock on the door or leave a delivery slip. Um, so just, you know, working out what you can change and what you can't. And for me, it's therefore just about the customer contact point and just making sure that at least you're telling the customer what you know um, and that you're in touch with them because you can't actually physically go and knock on their door and hand it over, although there are times where you wish you could. Yeah. Talking about sort of handing over control. So what are the areas other than the logistics? What are the areas of your business that you have handed over or you sometimes get help with just to give people an idea of what's possible two years on? Yeah. So I think um, support on the finance side um, for end of year accounts and the proper accountancy piece. So for me, I've been able to use, I use zero as a platform, but that's been brilliant it took me a while to really understand how I could utilize it to its best ability. Um, and arguably I could have got somebody else involved to really take over that side of the business, but I quite liked knowing my numbers and understanding what was going on. And in fact, a horror story from years ago of another friend who works for his uh, small business, um, who he relied on one person to do all his finances and they didn't do it properly. And he only discovered a year later that it wasn't done properly and he didn't, you know, because he trusted them to do it. So I kind of had that in my background to not, not know it. And I think understanding your own finances is a good thing, but having the accountants on board is just, they check what I've done basically make sure I've not made any errors. Um, and so that's been really helpful um and then and also they've taught me a few things on zero that i can do which i didn't realize i could do like currency you can put things in in different currencies and all sorts of bits and pieces which just saves admin um and then i have worked with another mum who's been helping out on some of the customer service side just helping me answer emails just so that i could spend a bit more time on thinking about content and thinking about the growth period but so far that's been it but we're kind of looking at what happens in year three and whether I get more support in um, and where that is best placed that's actually my current task at the moment trying to work that out that's fantastic and it's good to show that only a few years in you know you are in a position where you can get a little bit of help because absolutely from day one generally unless you go into a partnership with somebody which I'm going to talk to you a bit more about in a minute Sophie you are sort of you know, you do have to wear all of the hats and it can take a while to work out what it is that, what, you know, what you're comfortable with, what you're competent at and where you'd actually be better saying, actually, someone else could manage this much better than me. For me, it is my bookkeeping and accounting. I, um, I've outsourced that pretty much from day one or yeah. well, from the first day I realized that actually I just wasn't competent or confident and actually, um, also not really willing to upskill myself in that area because when you start a business there's so many areas you need to learn that just felt like a bit of a step too far so I would say it's never too early is it to ask for help if you need it and you can afford to do so yeah and actually I think advertising paid for advertising is one of those areas where I think there are vastly different offerings in the market but that is another area where I do now have support because there are nuances to how Google or Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest change what they're doing. And again, unless you're willing to stay bang on top of it, 
you know, you can be throwing good money after bad really fast unless you know what you're doing. So that's been an area where I've now worked with somebody who helps with some of that. I think that's an area as well where I don't know unless if you're trying to do everything else as well personally I don't see how that's an area you can possibly keep on top of because as you say with SEO and with changing algorithms if you want to be in a lot of places to kind of keep yourself up to speed on how to best utilize all of those available platforms I just yeah I don't I honestly don't see how that's something that one can do yourself um if you're trying to do everything else as well yeah yeah exactly and and you know, it's easy to think you can keep covering it all, but the reality is actually you probably spend longer doing certain things um, than somebody else who's just loves doing that or has been trained in it or, you know, spends their life in it. Yeah, that's really helpful. And so we've talked a little bit about challenges. What are the things that you love about your business? What do you really enjoy? That's an easy one. Babies. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally... I just the grin you know when you see another baby on a mass and because obviously it's so visual and much of it is on Instagram and things just somebody sending in a message of a baby on their play mat I love it and here's what we did today or here's our messy play or that just makes me smile and I think it's one of the biggest changes moving into this job and this role is that the product is a real product and therefore it gets used because all of my world before was advising people. So it was not tangible. Um, so I love that. I absolutely love that. And also because my babies are now three, I don't have that little squishy thing anymore. So I get to live vicariously. Yeah. And it is amazing, isn't it? To see people actually using your product and enjoying your yeah. product. Yeah. Totally. There is nothing better than that. So if you don't mind if we change the topic slightly, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the partnership, because obviously you mentioned that your friend started up in Australia and you're managing the business here in the UK. And um, I think going into business with a friend is something that probably is fairly common. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice, any store, just any insight at all about working alongside a friend. Um, So I think it, because we run very different markets, it's been brilliant. I think from her perspective speaking on her behalf I think it was it's quite a big thing to it's her brand that she created so kind of to step outside of home market was quite a big thing but she kind of knew that it she should probably do it because there was demand and there was an interest from the UK and Europe but um, knowing how she would find somebody that she could hand her baby over to was I think quite a big thing so knowing that we'd known each other also that I'd been over visiting and seen the concept stage and things. Um, I think that really helped. So there was kind of a trust without having to interview for somebody who's just a business partner. Um, The flip side is thinking, you know, how somebody works when you don't, when you're friends, you know, that you actually have to learn each other's kind of working patterns and how you do things. Um, You know, so actually, saying things that you would say to somebody that you work with but you might not say to a friend because you know friends are all about kind of bigging each other up so sometimes learning how to kind of say actually I'm not so keen on that or could you do it this way so kind of that early stage when I was starting out and they were a couple of years down the line where they wanted to kind of feedback and say look we love this bit of your Instagram but a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that or do you want to get in front of the camera a bit more so has working together changed your friendship at all, Sophie? 
Um, do you know what? It hasn't. It's actually been really fun. Um, and when she came over last year, because we did the baby shop at Olympia, it was just amazing because it was the first time I'd actually seen her in person for years. Um, and one of um, our, the rest of our team, Georgie, came with her and Georgie was like, oh my God, that was just so emotional. Um, so I think actually what's interesting is that when we do chat as mums, as friends, as kind of memories, it, the friendship is entirely there. But on a day-to-day -day basis, we almost don't have time to have that chat. Um, so kind of when we're chatting normally you almost miss some of that sometimes and then uh, she'll be on Facebook or like my sister and my mum also follow her because we all knew each other really well so you know they'll comment and be like oh my god that's so exciting so you kind of celebrate the friendship but it is a bit you know you don't have as much time for it because you're dealing with the business stuff that makes sense it sounds like the friendship and the business sides are almost separate in a yeah, way yeah I think I think that's kind of important to keep those two lines going like that. Um, otherwise, you end up having a meeting and you talk children and family and you don't get to the meeting points um, or vice versa. That makes sense. And you also just mentioned, um, and you only said this in passing, because I hope you don't mind me asking about it. You're talking about the baby show at Olympia. So I'd love to know a bit more about that, because obviously that's a huge show. Um, how was it? Um, do you know what? I've done two. So I did the NEC up at Birmingham was my first one. And then we did Olympia where Alana came over from Australia to join. Um, and it is flipping terrifying the first time you go and set up your stand and, you know, you kind of put all your product out and then you just wait for the doors to open and you hope that somebody comes to visit your stand. Um, but it was also amazing. I couldn't recommend it more because the adrenaline of particularly as an online business, the adrenaline of real customers coming in and actually being able to demonstrate and show people the mats and that touch and feel piece, I mean, kind of nothing beats it. And again, you know, the bit I love about the business is seeing babies on the play mats, but actually people physically bringing in their babies and hanging out and sitting on the floor and chatting to them about the product in person. I mean, you know, pretty unbeatable, actually. I can imagine. I think that's one of the only downsides of an online business is that people don't actually get to see and pick up your products and feel them and all all of those things are actually quite important when you're buying as you say possibly less so now after the you know the six months we've just had where shops have been closed and you can't do that but yeah I can imagine that's amazing and to talk to people about your products as well well that yeah and also I mean I get emails even now from people saying we met back in October I've just had my baby you know I just wanted to say we've just bought, literally just bought the play mat and we love it. And you're just like, oh, I remember that. And some people, because my daughter came along to help on the stand and things, and people are like, actually, your daughter was the person that sold me the play mat. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, somebody in the family taking after us. That's really, and you know what? I think it's like you say, meeting people as well, because I'm sure if they saw your product in October on Instagram, possibly they might have booked marketing, came back and bought it also possibly not I think the fact that they met you and they know your name and your face probably does make a yeah. huge difference there as well well it differentiates you from the big brand you know yeah who, who is just that um so you know I think that's an important piece to remember that you know we are people and people buy from people so you know it's an awful catchphrase but I think there's a lot of truth to it there is I've actually never been to the baby show so is it mostly small brands or are there the big ones there as well it's both there's there's the big brands and even a lot of the supermarket brands like Lidl go and do all their big 
you know, their baby lines and everything else. And you get all the big pram brands and things are all there. And then there's, I would say there's about 30, between 30 and 40 smaller brands at very different stages, some of whom are really small and just starting out, some of whom have been doing it for a few years. Um, but there's quite a nice community in amongst that as well. It's good to know that you'd recommend it as well, because I think that it's something that I know I've certainly looked at and I'm sure other people have considered. So it's good. To yeah. Know. And I think um, it's a big expense. So you kind of need to know what you want to get back from it. Um, you know, and that, so I was quite clear about what I was trying to do with it and what I was trying to achieve with it and how much you need to actually be directly profitable versus brand awareness and stretch because um, as I say some people have emailed me nearly a year on to say we've just bought you know you don't necessarily see everything come through straight away but it was good yeah and would you think it's helped with your brand awareness undoubtedly absolutely undoubtedly I mean the first one we did was in Birmingham um, and I can look at the website traffic and Birmingham and, and surrounding areas are still one of our highest regions on the website so you know, I can't put that down to anything else. That's amazing. That's really interesting. Thank you. Okay. I just have one final question for you before we wrap up, if that's okay. And that yeah. is what would your number one piece of advice be for someone else looking to start selling their own products? I would be really know what problem you're trying to solve um, and really know who you're doing it for. Because I think there's, it's very easy and I went through a process before I kind of landed here and approached Alana of thinking through different things I could do um, and it's easy to start from your skill set and go well I can make cushions so I'm going to make cushions um, and, and that's definitely a part of that journey because you want to do something you can do or you feel passionate about but I think working out what you're selling and who is it for and in what moment in their life really helps you kind of get it right um and and also then the marketing piece becomes a lot easier because you know who you're trying to talk to um yeah that would be my tip that's a great tip thank you and you're right and yeah for your products yeah we can definitely see what product what problem it's trying to solve and i think yeah just being able to articulate that is really good well, thank you so much for your time, Sophie. So if people want to find out more about your products, where is the best place for them to go? Come on over to munchkinandbear.co.uk um, and you'll see all the stuff about the playmats and how we created them and the range and uh, keep an eye in the next couple of months for new designs. Oh, exciting. And I will link to your website and all of your social channels and everything else in the show notes as well so people can get there really easily. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sophie. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you for all that you've shared. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to chat to you, Vicky. Thank you so much for listening to Sophie and myself today. As always, I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, we've got lots of these interviews coming up over the next few weeks. I've spoken to so many fantastic products business owners over the last few weeks and months and um, lots of great interviews to share with you, which I'm really excited for. Um, if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. I am always really excited to be introduced to fantastic business owners that I can talk to um, and share their story. I promise it's nothing 
having to be scared of hopefully you can get the sense from this podcast that it's very informal um i just like talking to people and and finding out what they've learned and things that we can share with you so if um you know anyone that fits that bill please do get in touch it's vicky at tinychipmunk.com and as always please do rate review and subscribe to the show because that really helps us out take care and i'll speak to you next week If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.